Amen. Amen. Josh, I'm grateful for you, and there's a few of us here that are helping pull this off. We're grateful for them as well. And as we uh, step in, let me just remind you of a couple things that are going on. Um, just announcement, just to uh, clue you into our schedule and, and what's happening. So next Sunday, we will have uh, two services on Easter, uh, 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock, and they'll be the same service, but you can join at the link that you're on, whether it's Vimeo or the Church Online link for either of those services, and we hope you jump into that. Also, Diana uh, McKeever will be hosting a, a very special kids scene on Easter Sunday uh, in the afternoon at 2 o'clock. And so if you'd like an invite to that, it'll be in our e-news, it'll be in the e-bulletin. If you don't get those emails, drop an email to info at Castle Oaks. Um, in just a little bit, we'll take communion together. And so uh, you can always skip part of the sermon and run to the kitchen if you need to and get everything that you need uh, to make that happen. It's Palm Sunday. Got a few palms out. Normally, we'd be waving them here in the room with kids singing. Uh, it's, a, of course, a very different year for us and for you, for everyone involved. It's the beginning of what we would call Holy Week, and it begins with the triumphal entry. Um, that's what we call it. That's not in the Bible. That's just the name that we have for it. Uh, I think if I were naming it, I would call it something different. I'd call it the, the misunderstood entry. That's really what's going on with Jesus in this moment in the Gospels and Interesting thing happens when Jesus is coming in. Uh, let me give you just a glimpse of this in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is on, on the, the donkey and he's riding in. Disciples are near him. There's all kinds of people around. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to the teacher, uh, said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They didn't like the entry of King Jesus into uh, Jerusalem, the holy city. And Jesus says uh, the most interesting thing. He says this, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, if those that are shouting, Hosanna, uh, welcome, King, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Even the stones will recognize who Jesus is. And to really grasp the, the context of this, you have to go all the way back to Genesis where creation is occurring. And when the author describes it in Genesis, it's in the plural we course it's the father the son and the holy spirit creating everything that exists including the stones the stones know who created them from the beginning and they would cry out listen to this psalm it's psalm 19 you won't see it on the screen just just soak it in this is what the psalmist says david wrote it the heavens declare the glory of God. It's not just the stones, but it's the heavens. And you read all through the Old Testament. It's, it's the oaks, it's the sky, it's the stars. He goes on to say this. Day after day, they pour forth speech, the skies. They proclaim the work of his hands. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. And yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. The heavens, the heavens, they are the ends of the world. God has pitched a tent in the heavens for the sun. From the very beginning, all of creation acknowledges who is in control and who God is. The lyrics that you just sang a minute ago in this new song that Josh taught you, in the valley, I know that you're with me, and surely your goodness and mercy follows me. And then the lyrics say this, my weapons are praise and thanksgiving. This is how I fight my battles. 
The lyrics come from Psalm 23, King David, a warrior king, and he knew how to fight battles. He knew what kind of battles that God would lead him into, and he started, of course, as a young shepherd fighting battles against a bear or a lion, protecting the sheep. His battles would, of course, extend uh, to human battles and, of course, then even battles within himself, but he knew how to fight, and he always found himself battling. And he says, in the valley... Surely your goodness and your mercy will follow me. What battles are you fighting through this experience that we're going through as a country, as a community, you as a family, individuals? What battles are you struggling with? Battles with anxiety or fear, frustration and anger, maybe in the context of your family, some of you edging into maybe feelings of depression that you haven't felt for a long time or maybe ever. It's this time that we're all going through as we watch headlines and watch everything change before our very eyes, unprecedented in our generation. We're watching everything slip from our control. And as that happens, we're reminded that God is the only one that is in control. He is the only one. And so how will you fight the battle that you're in? How will you fight the battle that you're experiencing today? Later in the day, when this time of frustration or anger, anxiety or fear begins to set in on you, you can fight this battle with weapons. Well, the song calls it praise and thanksgiving. We would just say it more simply, maybe gratitude and recognizing that God is in control. Probably the greatest thing about this pandemic, if there's anything that we could point to that God is in the middle of or that God is working out in our lives, is this idea that maybe for the first time, some of us are learning that we're not in control. And so we're loosening our grip and allowing God to be in control more fully, not because we want to, but because we have to. And for most of us, let's be honest, that's the only time that we do that when we have to. There are millions across our country that are in recovery from various uh, issues and addiction, and they learn this over and over and over again every time they gather. In fact, step two for these folks says that they have come to believe that there is a power greater than themselves and that this power can restore them to sanity. Some of you could have used this this week when you felt your sanity slipping from you as you deal with the fear or anxiety or maybe just boredom but then they all come to step number three which says this we have made a decision and maybe this is a decision you need to make today maybe this is your surrender of praise and thanksgiving this is how you'll fight the battle you're in made a decision to turn your will and your lives over to the care of God as we understand who he is this is what it means to surrender and this is how battles are fought only through thanksgiving and recognizing that God is in control. This is why Jesus, in the middle of Jerusalem, says, you know, we can tell them to be quiet if you want, but the stones that were made by me, that were formed by me, they know who is in control. They are the ones that can recognize, along with all of creation, the stars around us, the skies and the heavens, declare this truth every day, that there is one God, and I am not him, and you are not him. And he is in control and he alone can guide the course of our lives. And if we can come to that place of surrender today, 
then I promise what God does is he takes our anxiety and then he puts peace in his place. He takes our fear and he puts trust in its place. And so maybe today is all about you learning to loosen your grip, your expectations about how you thought this spring was going to go. I know that's my daily struggle as we go through this. But we're getting, uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're about to wrap up this series, The Road, and really it is all about the, the misunderstood entry. We'll rename it for the day. We started this series with this, this passage, Luke 9, 51, all the way back in the middle of Luke. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely, he set his face toward the city of Jerusalem. And this is the beginning of this journey for Jesus from north, the region of Galilee, all the way down to the holy city of Jerusalem, knowing that he would face the cross. And this has been his destination all along throughout his ministry. Now, what's going to happen for Jesus over the next week, Holy Week, is not a surprise to him at all. He saw every bit of it coming. It wasn't that he hoped for a different outcome. He knew this would be a part of his journey. Even before they get to Jerusalem, this is what Jesus says to the disciples. Jesus took the 12 aside and he said this. Here's what's happening. We are going up to Jerusalem. Again, this is his destination. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. And then Jesus gets more specific and he says this. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. Interesting that Luke mentions the Gentiles specifically. We know that it was really the Gentiles, the Romans, that actually crucified Jesus, but Luke is writing to a Gentile audience, wants them, all of us, to bear some of the burden of what happens to Jesus. Hand him over to the Gentiles, they'll mock him, insult him, spit on him, they'll flog him, and they'll kill him. Incredibly specific. Jesus gives them a very detailed picture of exactly what's going to happen to him, and then on the third day he will rise again. And this isn't the first time the disciples heard this. They had heard it at at this point four, five, or six times. Jesus repeats it over and over and over again. Now, as they're making their way to Jerusalem, and as they make this journey, and this is repeated to the disciples over and over again, Luke includes this little detail. The disciples did not understand any of this at all. So look, if you're going through your faith, your struggle, if you're wondering where is God in the middle of everything that's going on right now, if you're confused, if you're for some reason reading the book of Revelation, trying to piece together what you think might be the end times or any number of things, and you're not sure where to turn or which end is up, you're in good company. The disciples were just like you. They didn't understand either. It's okay to be in a position where you don't understand When you are in a place where you're confused about world events or what's happening next or who God is or how he's being kind or how is he going to make all this work for good, then we're in a place to say, Lord, lead us. Lord, guide us. We surrender. We open our hands to you. And this is exactly where the disciples were. They did not understand. And so in the very next chapter, you might remember this a little bit. Jesus has an interaction in Luke 19 with a man named Zacchaeus. And and right after that little conversation with Zacchaeus, this is what Luke records. 
while they were listening to this, his, his chat with this little man who climbed down out of the sycamore tree, he went on to tell them a parable. And, and the, the parable is incredible. It's a scathing parable. And it's one you ought to read in Luke chapter 19. But he tells this parable for this reason. This is what I want you to catch today. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear now, at once. He was near Jerusalem, and all of the disciples, all of the Jews, all of the men, all of the women who would call themselves children of Israel, they believed that Jesus had come, and he was going to bring about the kingdom of God all at once. They misunderstood not just who Jesus was, but what he was up to and how he was going to bring about the fulfillment of the kingdom. Have you ever felt like you're reading the promises of Scripture and you see that God seems to promise something that isn't coming true right now. And what it does is it makes you begin to doubt who God is. It makes you wonder, is it true? Is it real? Is it just for them or is it for me too? Or have I done something wrong? Have I, have I made God mad? Has he withdrawn himself from me? Do I not have his blessing in my life? If you felt that way, that's exactly what the disciples are about to experience with the crucifixion. And the reason they're about to experience this disillusionment is because of what Luke says in that sentence. The people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. They had an expectation that God didn't meet. And if we're honest, that happens to us all the time. Maybe you felt like you're getting the short end of the stick through all of this for one reason or another and after this happens here's what luke says after all this occurred he went on ahead he was going up to jerusalem now what happens next is is kind of odd and we may need some context to to grasp it and understand it here's what here's what luke says as he approached bethphage and bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead. He sent two of them ahead, and he said, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, as you enter this village, now Jesus is just a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. Two disciples are going to go. Jesus gives them these very specific instructions. You will find a colt, it's a donkey, tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Very specific untie this donkey and bring it here and if anyone asks you why are you untying it this is your answer say the lord needs it and that's exactly what happens the disciples go in to the town they go to the village ahead and they find a colt and there's a colt there and he's tied up and they go to untie the colt and of course probably the owners or somebody who lives in that house or maybe a neighbor who doesn't recognize who these disciples are they say what are you doing with the donkey the donkey doesn't belong to you why are you taking the donkey and they say simply the lord needs it now just an aside i can't read this without thinking about star wars i just can't and it makes me think of old ben kenobi saying these are not the droids you're looking for and everybody just taking it it almost feels like george lucas got his jedi mind trick from luke chapter 19 they get a colt they get a donkey all on purpose why why did they get a donkey? Well, some very specific reasons. The donkey is significant. Jesus and all of the Jewish people 
understood the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah and what would the Messiah be, look like, act like. What would the Messiah do for the nation of Israel? They were all familiar with it. Now, the people of Jerusalem and the people of Israel, they had gone through an incredibly difficult history. And by the time Jesus rides this donkey into Jerusalem, they all understand the context of what's happening right in front of them. Hundreds of years before, the Jews had been in uh, absolute, abject poverty and dissolution as a, as a nation, as a country. They had been in Babylon. They had been ruled by evil kings. And they hearkened back to a time when Abraham had been told by God, I will make you into a great nation. And the prophets of Israel foretold a golden age that was to come. And this golden age meant that Israel would become, of course, a great nation and that they would be ruled by a mighty king. And the prophets that came after King David talked about a time when a king would come from David's line and restore the prominence and the leadership and the kingdom of God through the nation of Israel. Now, of course, the Jews had come back from Babylon. They had been established as their own country, but the golden age that the prophets spoke of had never come to pass. In fact, just decades before Jesus came, the Jews had been removed as an independent state by the ruling country of Rome. And now, not longer were they dispersed, they were in their homeland, but they were being ruled by a foreign oppressor. And the Jews chafed under the leadership of Rome. They did not believe that that was God's will for them, and they believed that God would eventually deliver them and allow them to become one independent, strong, and mighty kingdom under God's name once again. One of the prophets that declared that this would be true is the prophet Zechariah. And here's what he said. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. And every Jewish man and woman would have been very familiar with the prophecies of Zechariah. And Zechariah points to a time when Jerusalem, Israel, all Jewish men and women would be freed from the bondage of a foreign oppressor and eventually God would bless them as their own nation, their own kingdom, and that they would shine brightly. And that God's center of the universe would not be Rome, it would not be Gentiles, it would not be a pagan country, but it would be God's holy country, holy nation of Israel, the promise established long ago through Abraham and now coming true in their presence. And so maybe you remember that during the ministry of Jesus, often he would heal someone or he would have a conversation about who he was. And after that conversation, very early in his ministry, he would follow it up with this mandate. He would say, but don't tell anyone that I've healed you. Don't tell anyone who I am. This was a, a, the secret Messiah, scholars call it, the messianic secret that Jesus would establish over and over and over again in all of the Gospels. Now, at this moment, the day of the triumphal entry, the misunderstood entry, all of that takes a 180-degree turn. Everything comes undone, and the secret about the Messiah is completely undone. And so Zechariah says, See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, 
lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. When Jesus gets on this donkey two miles outside of Jerusalem, he is saying clearly and unequivocally, I am the king that the prophets foretold. I am the one that they said would set everything right. I am the Messiah. And the ball that he starts rolling, the boulder that he pushes down the hill on the triumphal entry day is the boulder that will eventually crush him in the form of a cross. And when Jesus does this, he knows exactly what he's doing. So what they do with his donkey and this colt? They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. Two miles outside of Jerusalem. He could have walked in easily. Of course, he would have like most travelers, but he doesn't. He gets on this donkey and he begins to ride this donkey into town. And everyone watching would be remembering the words of the prophet Zechariah. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road just to show that they understand that he is royalty, that a king is coming, their new king, their established king. They would have thrown palms down on the road as well. They would have used the palms to establish his royalty. And as he comes into town, they would know, Israel would know, their place in history is now being cemented. What's about to occur will put them in their rightful place. This is their expectation. This is their understanding of what God is up to. When he came near the place where the road goes down in the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. And look at what Luke includes, this incredible, this important, this very telling detail. They praised him in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. In other words, we have an expectation of how God will show up. And because Jesus did some of these miracles, he raised the dead, he healed the sick, he caused the blind to see, he cast out demons. Because of this, they believe that he is the Messiah. And they began to say these words from Psalm 118, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And so now Jesus, all the way back, Luke chapter 9, as he sets his face resolutely toward Jerusalem, now he's riding into the holy city. And he rides through the eastern gate. He goes in through the outskirts of the city on this donkey, his disciples following the crowds, chanting these words from Scripture, believing and knowing that their king is coming. He rides into the temple area, and in a very anticlimactic move, this new king who has come to town does absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. I mean, eventually, the Gospels will tell you he'll, he'll cleanse the temple, he'll cast out the money changers, he'll do all kinds of things in the days to come for this week. But Mark tells us this. That Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He's coming, the Jewish men and women believe, as a conquering king. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And he went to bed. That was this king's triumphal entry. Jesus doesn't lead the mob to revolt. 
He doesn't gather all of the Jewish men and women together to overthrow Rome. He doesn't even raise a finger against Rome all week long. In fact, Jesus does the exact opposite. They have a discussion about what, whether or not they should pay taxes. Of course, the Jewish people believe they didn't owe any taxes to Rome at all, no allegiance to Rome. Jesus takes a coin and says whose picture is on it, and they say, well, it's Caesar. He says, well, give it to Caesar. In fact, the only critical words Jesus spoke all week long during Holy Week, during Passion Week, were to the Jewish men and women, namely the Pharisees and the spiritual leaders and those who were in charge of the temple, placing huge religious burdens on all of the followers of God. He had not met their expectations at all. Who wants a king like that? The Jewish people are terribly disappointed. In fact, the ones that on Sunday were saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord by Friday or chanting, crucify him. They're doing this because Jesus has not met their expectations. They misunderstood him. They misunderstood his very nature. This is my guess. It's true for me. It could be true for you. That you find yourself in some area of your life misunderstanding God maybe misunderstanding what you can count on him for or what he owes you or what you have coming. Maybe you've been very obedient most of your life. Maybe you've followed him with all of your heart and your expectation is now that God will come through for you. And often we find ourselves in the exact same position that Jewish men and women found themselves in, disappointed because God did not meet our expectations. So Jesus is coming in on this donkey. He's being lauded as the coming king. And in the middle of it, this is what Luke says, Jesus looks out at Jerusalem and he saw the city. And Luke says that, that he wept over it. He wept over the city. Jesus knows what's coming and he knows why it's coming. And he says this to Jerusalem, to all of the men and women who call themselves Israel. If you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Don't miss this. This is probably the most telling passage regarding the triumphal entry that helps us understand its true nature. If you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. You want a political leader, but what you need is a savior. You want power. But what you need is surrender. You want control. But what you need to do is relinquish control. You're allowing fear to drive your very actions and your behavior. But what you need to do is surrender in a new way and use the weapons of gratitude and releasing control to give God everything he needs to be Lord and Savior in your life. What you want, you want it now. But if you have it now, it will only bring you temporary peace. What Jesus is saying that they miss. What Jesus is saying that if they had only known that on this day, but now it is hidden from their eyes. He's saying this, that my kingdom is forever. You want a temporary kingdom. You want to depose Rome. You want to make some headlines. You want the power and the control for the moment. Jesus is playing the longer game. His timeline is eternity. It's interesting. Why a donkey? 
There were essentially three equine animals that were used in that time in Palestine, the Jewish world. There were horses and mules and donkeys. A conquering king would come on a horse. And even some of the kings in Israel's past, they would ride mules, much more docile than a donkey. King David, King Solomon, they rode on mules. But Jesus, Jesus comes on a a lowly donkey, a beast of burden, one that is disregarded, one that exemplifies humility. This is what God is calling me and you to today. Fewer opinions, more surrender. Fewer fights, more forgiveness. Less aggression, less fear, less anxiety and more surrender. This is how we will fight that battle. Now, my hope is that as a family, or even if you're home by yourself, single, or maybe you don't have family at home today, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, I want you to know that normally when we would take communion as a church, we would fill this room. It's a strange place for those of us who are here on a a weekly basis on Sunday because the room is, for the most part, empty. And it takes some imagination on our part to imagine our church that is actually distributed in homes and in these places where you are experiencing just as much of the love of God there as you would be here in this place. And so when I teach or when Josh leads worship and we're in this this circumstance that we're in right now, we imagine you in your homes. And we don't even have to imagine for some of you. We've seen some of your pictures on social media. You even text us a few, and I'm a little jealous. You're probably in your jammies, and we're not. Thank goodness that we're not. Nobody wants to see that. But this is our hope is that when we take communion here in just a moment, you and your family or you all by yourself, that you would, with the power of the Holy Spirit, imagine that there are people all over not just Castle Rock, not just the Denver metro area. If you're at the church online site, then you know that there are people in Newfoundland that are watching right now. There are people across the country that are watching right now that are connected to us through a variety of ways. And this is the body of Christ, and this is the Holy Spirit knitting us together as one family, even though we're not in physical proximity together. And so Jesus, when he was with his disciples, just a few nights after that moment, he had these elements in front of him and they were sharing the meal together and he held up the bread and he said, this is my body and it is broken for you. And he broke the bread and they distributed it, they ate it, they shared it together. And they would watch his body being suffered, beaten, torn, mocked, and whipped, ultimately crucified. And they would remember that his body is broken for us. And then Jesus held up wine, fruit of the vine, and a cup. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant is poured out for you. And Jesus then said, take this and drink it, all of you. And they did. They shared this cup as well. Now, when we're together and we have communion as a church body and you make your way to various places in our worship center, 
those that are serving often say something like this. This is the body of Christ and it is broken for you. And they often say this is the blood of Christ. It is poured out for you. And so you can, if you're with some other people in your living room or wherever you happen to be, you can say those very words to each other and you don't have to get it right. You can say whatever you would like. You can even say, Jesus loves you. I have no idea what else to say. You can not say anything at all. You can just share the body and the blood as you pass it amongst yourselves. So in just a moment, you'll see some scriptures and various reminders on the screen while you take communion as a family. Let's pray together. Lord, we offer these emblems to you and we ask that you would bless them in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would forgive our misunderstandings. Our expectations of you can sometimes be so out of line with who you are and even your character. Lord, we find ourselves in selfish ways, wanting you to meet our needs ahead of others, wanting you to smooth out the path in front of us. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us. And as we take this bread and as we take this drink, we pray that you would allow these emblems, this beautiful meal, to symbolize much more. That it would symbolize the love unconditional that you have for us. That it would symbolize the forgiveness and grace that comes when we give up control. Lord, would you do that for us? And so we gather together in many places. Meet us here. In the name of Jesus, we all pray together. Amen.